Um, but his, his sermon uh, was so good. But what he said was, I'm going to get into Romans chapter 5, which is easy. And I've never thought of anything in Romans as easy at all. Um, but he taught that, and it really seemed easy. You know, I, I loved his metaphor of the boat. And uh, I thought of traveling and all that, and I thought of this coming week. We're traveling. I'm traveling tomorrow with uh, Sophie to uh, Worcester, uh, Massachusetts, to go visit a college there, right, on, right off of uh, 290. And I thought, okay, I know where that is. I know how to get there. I've seen it because I had to pass by that to the college that I went to. And so uh, I know right where it is. <clears throat> and I don't like, I, the kids will know. Like when we're driving in places I'm not familiar with, I tell them to sh- be quiet, yeah. turn everything <laughs> off because I need, I cannot, uh, you know, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I got to be able to focus. And so um, <clears throat> I, was, I was actually thinking of when Lisa and I lived uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And in the fall in Columbus, Ohio, uh, I lived there three years, um, and uh, you you can't go out on a Saturday in the fall without some serious planning because we live very close to Ohio State, and if you start to dr- drive out on on Saturday, um, it's like there they, there's all these cones out where they start rearranging the roads that you know roads that were two-way are now one-way exits are are closed and you have to go to the next one and it's like everything all the traffic in this city and the population of columbus is about the same as the entire state of maine and so all the traffic is going towards ohio state for this football game and if you're not careful you're just going to get stuck right you're just going to you're wandering out and it's like i'm going to get stuck in the riptide that is going to the horseshoe at Ohio State, and it was, you know, and I worked at a church, so I had friends, I'd see uh, roommates, you know, went to church, and it was almost like you'd stop, like, I gotta go to the, don't go to the grocery store, we'll make it through, don't go out, because you're gonna end up lost somewhere in, at Ohio State, and it's like, you know, you gotta go out, and I, you know, it'd be almost like you'd ask for prayer, like, God, come on, Gather around, we got to pray. God, you know, help me to see the signs and to see the exits and, you know, know where to go. And it was this crazy thing of just like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you there. And when Eduardo talked about boats, the, the little boat and the big ship, right? And Jesus is the big ship. And the little boat is not going to survive the storm. I, I thought of that. And then uh, <clears throat> I thought of the story with, with boats where Jesus... Uh, says, uh, we're going to go the other side of the lake. And I think that would be like, I'm going to go out and uh, drive through Columbus on Saturday afternoon uh, in the fall. I mean, it'd be like the same, like the disciples would be like, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to go to that side of the lake. Uh, It'd be like, you know, trying to drive through Columbus on Saturday. This crazy idea. And uh, he says, uh, no, we're going to go the other side of the lake and um, we're going to go. And they jump in the boat, and uh, sure enough, there's a storm, right? Just, I told you, we shouldn't do this. This is not going to go well. And Jesus is asleep, and they're wondering, uh, does he even care, right? And I love that because, yeah, you have the boats, uh, and uh, this idea, does Jesus even care about us? And he says, he wakes, they got to wake him up. And maybe he's a little cranky because they woke him up. And he's like, where is your faith? You know, and that's the, that's the question that hangs over that story. 
about the storm is like, where is your faith? Where is it placed? You know, and last week, uh, Eduardo uh, took us through Romans uh, 5, a few, a few verses, and he talked about the little boat versus the big ship and the one that can weather the storms and the one that will not. And uh, that um, part of this simple message of scripture is which boat are you going to get on? You know, which one do you want to uh, jump on board? Uh, the little boat that's not going to survive the storm or the big ship. Um, and then you read books like Revelation and you realize that that's a great sermon. I loved it, but it's a little bit more complex. And you get to Revelation and you get to Hebrews is another one, maybe James and some of Peter, First Peter. And you realize that the invitation is that there is a storm coming and this little boat will not survive it. You can't place your hope in that. You can't place your hope in health. You can't place your hope in uh, relationships uh, you, all the time. And uh, you can't place your hope in uh, wealth. And you can't place your hope in uh, political ideologies and things like that, that they will not last. Um, and then you get to Revelation and you realize that um, that's true. We can't place our hope in those things. Um, let's get on the ship. And as you read Revelation, you realize the ship is going to sink <laughs> as well. <laughs> the promise is that it will come back up. The promise is that it will come back up. Yes. Um, and you scratch your head and you think, I, this, this doesn't sound like good news <laughs> to me. Like, the, the boat's not going to survive the storm, and the ship's going to go down. And if you get on the ship and you trust in Christ, you're going to go down as well with him. <laughs> but. But there'll be resurrection. And uh, that's what we get in this passage this morning. Uh, and it's hard uh, to read. It's hard, particularly in, uh, in America, where we have all these freedoms uh, where the first century church does not have these things, but they are facing uh, a compromise to their faith, um, or in this case, martyrdom, death, uh, persecution, suffering. And so the message is still choose the ship, <laughs> but we just want you to know it's going to sink. The, this, the image that we see of Christ is a lamb that is alive that was slain. Mm -hmm. And that is meant to be uh, a source of hope for them because they are persecuting. But the message is still that there is suffering, that there is persecution, and that there is yeah. martyrdom. Um, <clears throat> and the promise is not uh, that they will escape it. The promise is that they will go through it. And that's hard. I think that's hard in a land where we're able to vote um, on issues and people in office and we have freedoms. Uh, it's hard to read some of this and understand um, what this is calling to, um, what it's calling us to do. <clears throat> and so the question in the Gospels is, where is your faith? The question in this one is, who can stand during this time? And it's still the big ship, it's still Jesus, it's still the lamb, um, but there is a message that you are going to go through a storm. There is no, the ship's not going to take you around it.
So we get to this section, uh, section 10 and 11, and we can breeze through big chunks of scripture in Revelation because there's so much uh, symbolism, um, but it's pretty practical and it's pretty down to earth that we can go through lots of the, we can go through a whole chunk of scripture um, and just kind of explain some of the things that are going on. Uh, But the point is pretty simple, and that's why we can take uh, both chapters 10 and 11 uh, this morning. Um, We had the opening of the six seals, and then there was an interlude to talk about um, the church. And the six seals uh, that were opened are all talking about what's going on on earth, and then there's an interlude that talks about uh, the church being sealed and being delivered and this vision of no more tears and God wiping away our tears. We had that. Uh, after the the first six seals, and then we had six trumpets, and now we have a similar thing, an an interview uh, or an interlude. And uh, the six trumpets were also, here's what's going on on earth. Um, Earth is being undone. Things are falling apart. And then there's an interlude to look at the church. And that's what we're doing uh, today. And there's a little bit slightly different focus, a different angle, a different way to look at it than the previous interlude. And this is to... uh, kind of instruct the church and to give hope um, for this struggling first century church. And so we uh, dive into this in Revelation 10. John says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, His feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. This is the scroll with the six seals on it. It's been opened. Only Jesus was able to open it, right? He stood with his right hand on the sea and his left foot on the land. This is a picture of uh, God's reign over all the earth. It's that simple. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Seven thunders. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, keep secret what the seven thunders said. And do not write it down. And I love this. I mean, there's this whole thing that we don't even get to hear. We hear that something happened. But it's like, so we were watching, no kidding, we were watching uh, Ocean's Eleven. And there's this scene where uh, Brad Pitt is, is instructing uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon's got to go do this thing, uh, this interview. And he's like, listen, here's what you do, and here's what you do, and do this, say this, don't say And whatever you do... And right at that some you know right at that point someone calls him away and Matt Damon's left like wait what <laughs> what what is it whatever whatever right this like whatever you do don't don't write this down and so this is really important even though it's something really small I love this because sometimes when we read this uh, we feel like what's being revealed is the end of the world that's not what Revelation is about what's being revealed is Jesus. Jesus is the one that's, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are learning something about him, which is meant to be a, uh, a source of comfort for this church that is suffering. And sometimes when we read it, it feels like this is a machine. 
This is a cog. There's a machine. There's cog wheels turning. And this is how things are going to unfold. This and this and this and this and this. And when we read something like this, we are reminded that there is mystery here. That we don't have all the answers. We don't understand everything that's going to happen. Amen. That God is sovereign over all these things, that this is not just a machine that's rolling out, but that there is mystery, that there is, uh, we don't know, um, that this is, uh, this is not some sort of mechanical thing moving along, but that God still reigns over all these things, that there is mystery, there's things we don't know, um, which for me, uh, hopefully in those times of distress, lead me to go to God, the one who is sovereign, the one who... Um, rides above these mysteries that I don't understand, the source of life. So you have these seven thunders, and John skips over it. Well, he told me not to write these down, so you are out of luck. I was about to write them. Sorry. Yeah. That becomes important, because when we're dealing with suffering and struggle and trial and death, um, there is a call here to the church. Uh, not to compromise their faith and to trust in God. And the only way God can call that sort of allegiance and discipleship and commitment is because God is over all these things, right? Then the angel, then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. He said, there will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. So this is something that's been unfolding for years. The prophets have spoken about this. Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, told him to give me the scroll. He says, yes, you take it. And eat it, he said. There's something about the messenger that needs to embody this message. Um, you can't just, you can't speak this from afar. You are, if you are going with this message, we're going to talk about prophets speaking forth truth. Um, you're going to have to live this out. It's going to cost you. You got to eat this. It is a part of you. This is taken from... Ezekiel, this is taken from a passage in Ezekiel. Uh, you have that same imagery there. Um, <clears throat> I went to the angel. He said, eat it. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. Okay, can you clarify that part a little bit? Are you, are you about to? Or... What part? Last part. Sweet, sweet as honey in your mouth. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, you are half a second ahead of me. Yeah, <clears throat> it'll be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. And I think a good way to think about this um, is what we said about the boats. Like, here's the message. 
Um, and I want to come back to Eduardo's last week, and um, I loved it. The big boat versus the little boat. And the only caveat, the only explanation, the only disclaimer I would add is that the big boat's going to sink as well. Jesus died on a cross, and we are called to follow. The promise is that there is resurrection. And so that's the bittersweet part of it. (laughs) Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. That is bittersweet. There's There's a message here that is good news. There's a message here that's hard to hear. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it and it was sweet to my mouth but when I swallowed it it turned sour in my stomach then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples nations languages and kings and so here we have this central theme is coming, is bubbling up in these two, two passages that go to bed together, which is about prophecy, which is about speaking truth. Prophecy is not predicting the future. Prophecy is about speaking uh, the truth, particularly in the Old Testament. So you have the Old Testament, you have the Old Testament law, and this is the way Israel should be living, and um, this is the justice they should be living out, and they're not. They're oppressing people, and they're like every other nation, and these prophets would come and say, listen, uh, this is uh, the covenant that you walked into with God, that you agreed to, that you are living in, and you're not living up to it. And therefore, things are going to fall apart. It's just not going to work in this relationship. This relationship is not going to work if you're not living up to uh, this covenant of love and justice and righteousness things are going to fall apart. So it's, in a sense, predicting the future, but that's a very general thing. It's basically saying, here's the covenant, and here's how we're living up to it. Okay, that's prophecy. That's what a prophet's role is. And early on in the Hebrew Bible, like Isaiah, the prophets were part of the king's court, and they had a very um, respected role. And later in the Old Testament, as we get closer to the New Testament, we saw that pro- prophets suffered mm-hmm. a lot as well for being able to speak this truth. Now, I guess a contemporary way to think about it, it would be like the civil rights movement in the South, Martin Luther King, uh, speaking about that we are all one, that we uh, all should have the same rights and freedoms in this land. That was not an easy journey for him. And people suffered and riots broke out and he died. Okay, But that would be the role of a prophet speaking truth into a society. Okay, That's, That would be a way to think about it. Um, he wasn't a prophet. What's that? He wasn't a prophet. Yeah, I would disagree with that. But um, <clears throat> he did speak truth and he suffered for it. Um, but that's what we're talking about a few chapters ago is about prayer and about how our prayers uh, are important in this struggle to bring uh, justice and this unfolding of God's righteousness in the land and how things are going to get ugly before they get better. Now the focus is speaking truth. And it unfolds here in Revelation 11. Then I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar And count the number of worshipers, but do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. 
They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. So they're measuring the temple of God. And we see someone just taking a measuring stick and measuring. But it's also, just like the seals that we, we talked about a few chapters ago, it's about carving out and protecting a certain group. Mm. We're going to measure out this sort of group, and on the outer courts, we're going to allow that to be trampled in. Now, this is probably written in A.D. around 90, in the 90s, maybe. But in the uh, 70s, uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem went down. Um, they were defeated by Rome. And one thing that was interesting to happen is that the, the rebel fighters uh, for the Jewish people, their last stronghold was in the middle of the temple. And the outer, outer temple was trampled down by the nations. And it could be that uh, this is kind of a nod to that historical thing that happened. Um, <clears throat> but we see this idea of two witnesses clothed in burlap, and they will prophesy. So burlap is a sign of repentance and sorrow and grief. <clears throat> repentance. These two prophets, verse 4, are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouth and consumes them. Again, this is a picture of words. Not a picture of violence and fire devouring people, but their words are powerful. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die, for they have power to shut out the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. This again looks back to Elijah in this passage we just read. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. So a lot of people have asked, who are these two people? And it talks to them as lampstands. And lampstands all the way throughout Revelation stands for the church. And we know from Paul's writing that the church is talked about as a temple. And so when we talk about measuring the temple, they're talking about the church. They're not talking about an actual building. They're talking about the church. And when it talks about these witnesses, they're bearing witness to God. They're bearing witness to uh, the truth of Christ and his own persecution and injustice and crucifixion and resurrection, and their words have power. We think of James who says, listen, the tongue is like a spark. It'll set a whole, a whole forest on fire. It's like a little rudder on a big boat that will turn the whole thing. Um, words have power. When God creates the world, he says it is good. It's like, it's like he's speaking it. So words have power. Power. And he's talking about being faithful, the church being faithful to their witness during this time of persecution. What happens to these two? Verse 7, when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit would declare war against them. And he will conquer them and he will kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. For there and there for three and a half days, all people, tribe, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets 
who had tormented them. Again, this is not just two people. It's speaking figuratively about the church and their witness to truth. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. Terror struck all those who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. So, resurrection. Yes. And at the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory uh, to God in heaven. The second terror is past, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. So, there's a couple things here. Number one, now we know why Eduardo did want, want to teach this. <laughs> this is tough. And I, all the commentaries I read were like, oh my goodness. This is one of, you know, this is probably the toughest chapter in the whole New Testament. There's a lot of symbolism. If we're looking for symbolism on, on wondering who is, who are the two witnesses, when does this happen, we're going to miss the boat. No pun intended there, but um, it's again showing at another angle the work of the church during this time of persecution. And the persecution, as we'll see in the few chapters that come, all this evil will become more personified, and it's, it's, it's the, the Roman Empire that are persecuting Christians. Um, this is an empire that would say, listen, you must worship this particular way or we will kill you. And there are Christians who are powerful. There are Christians who are affluent. Um, and there are faithful Christians who are poor and, I don't know, middle class. I don't know if they had middle class back then. but um, And they're asking the question, what do we do? How do we live like this? And they're struggling. And so the message is to remain faithful, to remain true. And the picture there is one of death. Here's what happens to those who are faithful. They're going to die. It's called martyrdom. And unfortunately, what we hear, what we think of that now in our world are people sometimes putting bombs strapped. I mean, it's, the rhetoric is, you know, this needs to happen. This horrible thing needs to happen in order for, you know, something new to be born. And it's like, well, okay, the rhetoric is sort of the same. You need to be a martyr, but the, the way it's lived out is very different. These witnesses are, they're wearing burlap. They're, they're repentant. They're, 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 their weapon is the words that they speak, not explosives. Okay? This is, this is the way forward. And they will be persecuted because of it. And they're going to die because of it. And the message is that they will live again. And so there's something about death that the giving of ourselves, the dying of the self with Christ, that is a part of this ministry. It's a ministry of martyrdom, um, not in our contemporary sense that we immediately think of, 
Um, but that is the message that Jesus is communicating, that John is, this, is, this vision is communicating, that our death brings healing to this world. And it's a part of um, what needs to happen for this world to be renewed. Now, fortunately, we live in a world where that's illegal. We're free to worship, okay? And so the question becomes, what does death look like for us that's going to be a part of this world renewing? It's a death to our wallet. It's a death to our energy. It's a death to our time. It's a death to our food pantry. It's when we take people in. It's when we do things for others, when we don't want to do it. You know, fortunately, we're in a place where we don't have to give our life. Yeah, I don't, who knows what the future holds. But there's a ministry of martyrdom here um, that is hard, it is hard to sit with. Very hard. And so, I was talking about this passage with Lisa, and uh, she she was like, yeah, the question is, uh, one of the questions, the tough question here is, are we willing to give our life for our faith? Mm-hmm. And again, fortunately, we, we're not in a land where we have to do that uh, very often. But are we willing to do that? And if not, what are we holding that's more important? And it's good to think through what that might be and to wonder and question that and see how our faith interacts with that. The more practical question that we face is what sort of death are we being called to in order that Christ's ministry may be lived out through us? You know. So one of the questions here is where is the good news? Where is the good news in this? Because I don't quite see it. Well, we are with Jesus. He is the ship. And he has traveled this path before. Right? You think of Psalm 23, right? He sets a table in the presence of my enemy. My cup overflows. It's not just a table. It's a table that's overflowing in the presence of enemies. That he is with us. Um, <clears throat> he has defeated death by not dodging it and going around it, but by going through it. And so when we're, po- we're posed the question of the boat or the ship, we go with Jesus on that ship and through the storm, like uh, Eduardo talked about last week. The good news is that because we're in Christ, we are promised life through death. And again, the central image is who can stand. It's the lamb that was slain who lives again. And so for a first century church, this very comic book-like book with bold images and gruesome monsters, the central figure is that lamb who was slain that we go with him. And that there's a promise that you will not escape this persecution, but you will live through it.
Now, as we move, we're going to take a break uh, next week. We're going to review. We're going to do a, a quick review of the first half of this book because things change and evil becomes more personified in the uh, chapters that come. So it's a good uh, break. And I think we're going to take some time and think about this and tease this out a little bit more next week rather than diving into long passages. Um, As we prepare for communion, we are reminded that uh, it is a picture that Jesus does suffer for us. And... In that suffering, we're fed. We are nourished. Um, and he calls us to come and follow. That's what he does with the disciples following the good, uh, the, the Last Supper, is to go and do likewise. After he washes their feet, go and do likewise. This is the path to blessing. Um, and our reading, um, interestingly enough, follows on that call to cross the ocean. Uh, it's the next scene. So we'll read that. And think of these themes of death and life and going through. So so they came, they arrived to the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus... He shrieked and fell down in front of them, in front of him. And he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I wish I think we say that sometimes. Why are you interfering with me? Please, I beg you, don't hurt me. Don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. When he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. We think of legion as many, but this is also a hint at... It's in a subtle way referring to the, uh, the Roman Empire that rules over the area. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down a steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, perfectly sane. They were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great, great wave of fear swept over them. Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. Jesus said, Stay home, saying, go back to your family, 
Tell them everything God has done for you. That's bearing witness. Everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. And so we come to communion um, where we are reminded all the great things that Jesus has done for us. And the good news is still the good news. The good news is that we will live again. The good news is that Jesus is with us. The good news is that Jesus died for us, that Jesus loves us, that there is mercy, that there is grace, that there is forgiveness, and it's all there. Amen. And we're able to carry that through the trials that lay ahead of us. Some of them are circumstantial, like that first century church is being persecuted. Some of it are things that we face in ministry. Um, some of it are uh, things that we bring upon ourselves that we need to repent and turn away from. Um, but Jesus is with us, and Jesus promises us life through the storm on the other side. Um, and we have this incredible book here that reminds us of a time where the church was struggling so much, and Jesus called them to stay with it. Stay with me. Stay with me. I've been there. I've done this. You will live with me through this. I will give you strength. Amen. So we'll uh, take communion together. Come up as you feel led to come up and take communion. Let's get our.